Let me guess. You're playing your ball out of the wrong fairway again. Stop yelling four right after every shot and start playing the new Big Bertha B21 from Callaway. Because truth is, there's a ton of distance trapped inside your swing. You just need the technology of Big Bertha to unlock it. It's pretty simple. A straighter ball equals a longer ball. So Callaway built a whole family of Big Bertha drivers, irons, woods, and hybrids with a new formula for forgiveness. Big Bertha was designed to reduce side spin while generating an insane amount of ball speed, leading to straighter shots off the tee. That's how you unleash your inner distance. And Callaway made Big Bertha irons so forgiving you can practically hit them anywhere on the face and the ball just launches. No matter your swing, Big Bertha gives every shot more distance. Big Bertha is a full family of long, forgiving, and really easy-to-hit clubs. Say hello to the fairway again. Introduce yourself to the green, because this is distance any way you swing it. Unlock your inner distance today at callawaygolf.ca slash Big Bertha. When it comes to gun crime in Canada, one question that often gets asked is, where are these guns coming from? Some of them are ill-gotten Canadian firearms, but many of them are smuggled across the border from the United States where guns are plentiful. But just how do they get here? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I'm joined by National Post reporter Adrian Humphreys to discuss a recent case in the U.S. that breaks down the journey from an Ohio gun show to the streets of Toronto. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Adrian, with gun violence continuing unabated in Canada's largest city despite the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and Justin Trudeau announcing in the spring a sweeping gun ban, there's been a lot of talk about where a lot of the guns are coming from in this country. And one answer is the U.S. But I don't really think that people fully understand how these guns get here. They just hear, oh, they're being smuggled in from the U.S. But there was a recent court case that you were following that kind of spells it out. So it's fascinating, the system that's in place here. Let's walk through that a bit. First, where are these guns being sourced? The case, what I was tracking was a a gun-running group that was dedicated to, as you say, smuggling guns from the United States into Canada. And they got their guns in the U.S. from a variety of ways. I mean, obviously, it's not that difficult to get a gun in the United States, especially in certain states. And this uh, group was focused in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So I was able to track a number of their purchases, and they came from basically two sources. One is the gun shows. So what they are accused of doing is going to a gun show choosing the guns they want. They talk to the vendors, they try a few out, they'd feel the weight of them, this, that, and the other. And then they had people with them, people with clean records, people that were of age, people that could legally buy the gun. And they gave them the cash. And in this case, most of the patsies they used were women, young women. And they directed them to the vendor and they went and they bought, in this particular case that I'm tracking, was four handguns. Mm -hmm. It was like three Glocks and and a Ruger pistol. These are all semi-automatic handguns. They bought them. They filled out the forms. They said they were for themselves. And then they went out in the parking lot. They gave the guns to the guys, and they got $500 for their trouble. That was just the first step in their scheme to get them into Canada there. There's many people involved here, obviously. like We're talking about what's known as a straw purchase, where someone will buy a gun, say it's for them, fill out the paperwork in their name, and then give it to somebody else. 
So you have a couple people checking out the guns, deciding what guns they want to buy, and then going to a couple of women and saying, okay, buy these ones and then meet us outside. So how much are they paying for these guns and how much money are the purchasers getting in return? The guns are roughly costing about 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. They got for the cost them around $2,000. And so it was basically 500 bucks for a semi-auto. The Patsies were given 500 bucks on top of that. So that would be a premium top up, but uh, you know, not a huge investment considering what the payoff could be. And what is that? How much can these guns fetch on the black market once they come into Canada? Ten times that amount. They were buying them for five hundred, basically, and selling them for five thousand, four thousand, five thousand. It, it you know it ranged a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good markup. They weren't having to do a ton of work to get them across the border either. How are they getting across the border? Obviously, they need people with clean records and people of legal age to buy these guns. I assume that the people who are paying the buyers to buy the guns aren't the ones driving them across the border, are they? Are they are they bringing in other people to get them across the border? And are they being smuggled like in large shipments in freight or are they coming across in passenger vehicles? They would buy them and sort of stockpile to a certain degree. Now, but we're not talking like hundreds of guns at a time. Mm-hmm. What they would largely do is they would lease or rent a Toyota Camry usually because the Toyota Camry's uh, body molding has a cavity near the center console that they found they could easily access and hide four, five, six guns in there. Then they would turn again to um, the um, young women and they would promise them a free trip to Canada. They would promise them booze and drugs and, and a little bit of money. All they had to do was drive them across the border. And they did this many times. Sometimes there seem to be guys with them. There seem to be guys, not necessarily the guys that are arranging the purchase, but uh, part of their organization mm-hmm. would go. They made frequent trips, and then they would also smuggle the money back after the sale, sometimes by car and sometimes by plane. One pair of the gun runners were stopped at Columbus International uh, Airport and found with quite a lot of money with them from a return journey. Yeah, how much money are we talking about here? Obviously, if they're stockpiling a handful of guns to bring across the border to make a trip worthwhile, I assume that, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, or is it more than that? The airport seizure was more than $25,000. There was a car stopped at the border coming back to the United States, and there, I think it was $11,000, $12,000 then. And these are pretty young kids. They're 19, 20, 20, up to 25 or so. This isn't a hugely sophisticated, sprawling criminal enterprise. These are just a bunch of entrepreneurial hoodlums, allegedly, that uh, found they could make a lot of money doing something fairly simple for them. How did this scheme ultimately get uncovered? How were these people caught? The authorities are being a little cagey about this, which usually means there's an informant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I sort of put track that down. There was an arrest made. And often in these types of situations, they try to avoid paying their own full responsibility by pointing out uh, others. And there seemed to be a series of informants that led officials to some of the bigger fish. So by the time of one of the gun shows in Columbus, Ohio, so we're now talking April 2019, they were already onto them. In fact, they had ATF agents, uh, the U.S. Uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms Investigations, at the gun show watching a, a man from Toronto and a man from Columbus do that initial sort of scouting of the weapons and choosing the ones they want and then talking to the women, according to the U.S. indictment. So how long did this go on for? Was this many years? Was it just a a shorter period of time? And how many guns ultimately made it to Canadian streets? 
It went on for at least a year that they could prove or believe they can prove. It probably started slowly until they found it worked, and then it started to expand. So there was probably some trailing uh, start to it all. But for at least a good year, they were making fairly regular trips across the border. By the time they were being tracked, because of course, we don't know exactly how many went uh, through, but I was able to track a good half dozen to a dozen of actual border crossings of those that are accused, including three that were stopped at the Canadian border by Canada Border Services Agency where guns were seized. When we talk about the people who were caught up in this scheme, are they all Americans? Are there any Canadians involved? How many people were ultimately charged in this? There was about 10 U.S. citizens charged in this and one Canadian, this Toronto man that allegedly came down to the gun show. And that's from the U.S. portion of it. The investigation into the Canadian end, though, appears to be still underway. The American authorities tell me they're still working with Canadian authorities to uh, try and trace down what happened to the guns once they got into Canada. I suspect there'll probably be some Canadian-based arrests, but for now, there's just the one Canadian that's been allegedly involved, and they're hoping to uh, have him extradited to the United States to face trial. Of the other 10 people, there's still a few fugitives, but uh, seven of them are in custody and awaiting trial. What are American authorities saying about this operation or about the amount of guns that are coming up into Canada? Gun ownership in the United States, of course, is a very electric issue. The authorities sort of go to great pains to say, look, you have absolutely every right to go and buy yourself a gun. However, what you can't do is transfer ownership of that illegally. You can't uh, buy a gun for someone else. You can't buy a gun to smuggle. So they are taking the gun smuggling element very seriously, even though they defend to the death the right for them to buy the guns in the first place. (laughs) Uh, So they're taking it quite seriously. The U.S. attorney for the uh, Southern District of Ohio that I interviewed started off by saying, I want to apologize on the behalf of the people of the United States of America for our guys bringing guns into your country. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't like it. They're treating it seriously. And uh, they put quite a little operation in place to try and stop it. And what of the Canadian that has been charged? Is he facing charges here or in the U.S. or both? Well, he might eventually be charged in Canada, depending on what the evidence shows. But right now, it's solely a charge in the United States. They've got sort of an arrest warrant out for him, a red notice. that They are hoping that he'll voluntarily surrender. But if not, then they'll seek to have the Canadian authorities arrest him and then have him extradited. Do we know where the destination for a lot of these guns is? Is it Toronto? Is it other cities? Where is kind of the gun trade in Canada focused? At this particular uh, group, uh, the guns were ending up in Toronto, the U.S. authorities say. that They were coming up. Ohio's sort of tucked between uh, two major border crossings, and they were sort of dividing their time. Some were coming up through Buffalo, Niagara, and some of them were coming up Detroit-Windsor, the two prongs. But uh, the ultimate destination for these guns, the U.S. Uh, says, was definitely Toronto. And that certainly seems to be the focus for a lot of the black market guns that are uh, being smuggled into Canada. Also, the other major route is legally owned guns that are either stolen or misappropriated in some way and also make their way onto the streets. Obviously, there's been a lot of focus on guns and gun crime in Canada this year. As I mentioned off the top, there's been a lot of shootings in Toronto. Justin Trudeau enacted a sweeping ban of about 1,500 assault-style weapons or varieties of weapons back in May, and that was on the heels of devastating 
multiple shooting in Porto Peak, Nova Scotia. But we learned after that shooting that a lot of the guns in that case came from the United States. Can you describe kind of the approach that is going on to try and ensure that the border stays closed? Is it operations like this or is there more the government can do? The source of the guns is a bit of a touchstone issue amongst gun enthusiasts in Canada, of course, because they love to point to these cases and saying, look, you know, the Trudeau gun ban is going to do nothing to keep you safer. The majority of crime guns are being smuggled in. The gun restrictions in Canada are using these tragedies to try and further an agenda to, to strip, you know, gun owners of their guns. And that's why they love these types of cases. But there are obviously other cases that I've covered and others that have been well covered in the news where it has originally been a legally sold firearm in Canada. I don't get much into the gun debate. I don't do the politics. I, I just do the crime. I, I mean, I report on the crime, not do the crime, just to clarify. <laughs> so from a crime perspective, I mean, a gun is a gun is a gun to me. And I'll trace where it comes from and I'll report where it comes from. And, uh, and I'll leave the politics for others to decide. Adrian, thanks for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks for your interest. Ten Three is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Adrian Humphreys. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.